service. Disgraceland is brought to you by Disgraceland All Access. Disgraceland All Access membership is your chance to support the show and get ad-free listening, an exclusive scripted episode every month, and exclusive bonus content every week, plus access to an always-on chat with me and your fellow discos. Visit disgracelandpod.com slash membership or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. Disgraceland is a production of Double Elvis. There is a well-known story about Lisa Lefty Lopez from TLC, and it's crazy. She burned her NFL-playing boyfriend's mansion down, apparently over an argument about sneakers. But there are other stories about Lisa that are just as crazy. She was on the run from demons. Demons she dealt with daily. One would push her toward the edge. One would try to hold her back. And Lisa feared that though only 30 years old, death was chasing her down. These stories were well known to her colleagues, and the perception was that Lisa Lefty Lopez was, well, the crazy one. Maybe. I prefer to believe that she was just badass. She may have been possessed, but it wasn't by demons. It was by creativity. And Lisa Lefty Lopez and her group, TLC, made great music. That music you heard at the top of the show, that wasn't great music. That was a preset loop from my Mellotron called Afro-Cuban Organ Low, MK1. I played you that loop because I can't afford the license for I Swear by All for One. And why would I play you that specific slice of adult contemporary cheese could I afford it? Because that was the number one song in America on June 9, 1994, and that was the day that Lisa Lefty Lopez burned down her boyfriend's mansion, kicking off a spiritual journey that would take her to the windy back roads of Honduras and ultimately to her grave. On this episode, Afro-Cuban organs, a case of the crazies, 61 inches of badassery, a match, and Lisa Lefty Lopez. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Disgraceland. Lisa Lefty Lopez came from a long line of artists and musicians. From a young age, her natural talent was evident. She sang, wrote, drew, danced. Her dad played piano, clarinet, and harmonica. Basically, he could play anything he got his hands on. But his hands were also part of the problem. Lisa loved her dad, but domestic abuse was always in the mix. Maybe it had something to do with his fiery, creative nature. Maybe it was due to his stint in the military. Maybe. But most likely, it was his drinking. Lisa's dad was super strict about everything except drinking. In fact, from the time Lisa was a preteen, they bonded over booze. Daddy-daughter days would just as well be a trip to the movies as they would be a drinking competition in the backyard. 
Look at little Lisa get after that beer. For some musicians, drinking and creativity go hand in hand. Often the one begets the other. For Lisa, her creativity and her drinking were at odds from the jump. Lisa would joke that when she got too drunk, all of her behavior could be blamed on her alter ego, Nikki. But despite Nikki's presence causing plenty of trouble during Lisa's school days, Lisa's creativity won the day. She acted in school productions, sometimes as a star, sometimes as a backup dancer. She modeled and used her gifts as an illustrator to design her own outfits. Her brain was filled with a million different creative endeavors, each as compelling to her as the next. She wrote poetry and, of course, rhymes. And rhymes were the ticket to the future. It was 1990. Hip-hop was exploding, and for a young Lisa Lopez, potentially transformative. Just up the road in Atlanta, the South's burgeoning hip-hop scene was making waves. Two ambitious local movers and shakers, Antonio L.A. Reed and Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, were busy promoting and producing a wellspring of homegrown talent. Artists like Outkast, Tony Braxton, and Usher were about to bring the Dirty South to Middle America. So, in 1990, 19-year-old Lisa Lopez hit Atlanta with $750 in her pocket. When you're 19 years old, and possessed by creativity. The universe has a way of making it all just kind of happen. It delicately pushes and pulls and presents you with opportunities. If you're smart, you listen to what the universe has to say. Lisa Lopez was no dummy. So when she finally connected with Tioni Watkins, AKA T-Boz, and Rosanda Jones, AKA Chili, she knew that as a musical trifecta, they'd be unstoppable. So TLC, was born. And there was no time to waste. Yeah, T-Boz took her stage name to show she was a boss, but it was Left Eye, with a nickname co-opted from an offhand pickup line fed to her by some dude who was calling the creative shots. T-Boz had the voice, sultry, smooth, instantly recognizable. Chili was the dancer, with, it seemed, new moves every damn day of the week. So that left Lisa. She was the wild card. She'd play the crazy one. If the shoe fit, it didn't matter. She knew she'd stand out in a trio of outstanding talent and style, regardless of whatever role she had to play to sell an image, and ultimately, records. And the shoe did fit. With Nikki's presence, crazy was something Lisa was well acquainted with. But TLC was much more than just talent, attitude, and style. It was the 90s, and TLC was very much of the moment. They immediately tapped into the social consciousness of the decade, promoting safe sex with the style of the MTV generation. Equal parts en vogue, salt and pepper, and some sugar high cartoon that jumped off the back of your little sister's cereal box. TLC were something completely new. Their first album, Ooh on the TLC Tip, was released in 1992. The video for Ain't Too Proud to Beg, left eye with those massive sunglasses, the enormous green neon hat, undeniable energy. Jesus, who the hell was TLC? You'd never seen anything like them before. You just knew the song was going to be a hit. And the little rapper with the dirty mouth and the condom over her eye, she was fucking crazy. 
Hey, Discos, it's Jake here. Thank you so much for listening to Disgraceland. Your support truly means a lot to me, and it's because of you that my team and I are able to make this show. If you want more Disgraceland, if you want more regular interactions with me and the community of Disgraceland listeners, or if you simply want to listen to the show ad-free, go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership, or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. For just five bucks a month, you can listen to every episode of Disgraceland ad-free. Plus, you'll get one brand new exclusive episode every month. You'll also get weekly unscripted bonus content, special audio collections, and early access to merch and events. There are two ways that you can support the show and become a member at disgracelandpod.com membership. You can sign up using Patreon and listen to the show ad-free on Apple, Spotify, and most other major podcast platforms. And Patreon members also get access to all the other perks of membership in an always-on chat where I'll be interacting with you and diving deeper into the world of Disgraceland. But maybe you're currently an Apple Podcast subscription listener and you want to just tap into all the bonus audio content and ad-free listening that we're offering. We're also offering this membership as a premium channel on Apple Podcasts. However you choose to join, all you got to do is go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Support the show for just $5 a month, five bucks, or sign up for an annual plan and get two months free. Come join me and your fellow discos at Disgraceland All Access by visiting disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Ooh, on the TLC tip would eventually sell 6 million records. Not a bad opening statement for the group of three young female artists from Atlanta's burgeoning hip-hop scene. Left Eye rapped and sang and had her hands all over the album art and video concepts. She designed the stage sets, dressed the band, and was in large part responsible for the group's image. An image that would help push the group over the top and into American living rooms via MTV and late-night television appearances. At a time when mainstream hip-hop fashion was becoming predictable, gold chains, red, black, and green African flag color schemes, matching stage outfits, Lisa Lopez added bombastic colors, originality, and social consciousness to her look. One day, while getting ready, she took note of the condom and the safety pin on her dresser. HIV was on the rise, a scary time to be a sexually active young adult. Not talking about it wasn't doing anyone any good, so why accept the fact that carrying a condom for a young woman was anything but responsible? Why rely on a guy to protect you when you could do it yourself? And why hide the fact? Rather than throwing the condom and the safety pin in her purse before heading out, she pinned them to her pants. And that simple couldn't-give-a-shit subversive fashion statement by one of America's rising young stars went a long way in making it okay to talk about safe sex publicly. It was an answer to salt and Peppa's Let's Talk About Sex single from two years earlier. A chorus of young, empowered, female, musical voices was helping shape the national conversation around HIV, and Lisa Left Eye Lopez was adding her voice and making the conversation fun. At least that's how some took it. Others just saw it as some crazy famous chick with condoms pinned to her clothes, which, given Lisa's behavior at the time, wasn't so hard to believe. As her success increased, so did her drinking. Nikki was bum-rushing the show, and Lisa wasn't afraid to cast blame. 
After whatever crazy behavior would land her in trouble, Lisa would claim, that ain't me, that's Nikki, my evil twin, who came from within, whom I blame for all of my sins. Getting up on the bar at the club, dancing, mugging for the camera with a condom over her eye, being a relentless flirt when it suited her. Sure, to some, I guess that behavior can be categorized as crazy. To me, it's just a pop star being a pop star. I bet Lisa's crazy rep had less to do with condoms as a fashion statement and more to do with her outspoken criticism of her music industry star makers. She called out her producer, Dallas Austin, for overcharging TLC on production. And on the night TLC took home six Grammys, six Grammys, from the press podium after the show, Lisa claimed that the group was broke and insinuated that it was due to her greedy record label and producers. Not exactly the message the music industry wants to hear after it coronates a young group of stars. Lisa's outspokenness and occasional drunken visit from Nikki were only part of the problem. Lisa's new boyfriend, Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Andre Risen, wasn't doing her any favors. Lisa was crazy for Andre, and Andre was crazy for Lisa. He liked the idea of having a famous girlfriend, so the two quickly moved in together. But despite her desire for a stable, monogamous relationship, Andre could not be tied down to one woman. He was unfaithful, jealous, possessive, short-tempered, violent, and when not on the football field, almost always drunk and belligerent. One night, outside an Atlanta nightclub, Lisa refused to pick up whatever bullshit Andre was putting down, and the argument became physical escalating to the point of shots being fired off by Andre in an effort to gain control of the situation and his girlfriend. Cops were on the scene quickly and tensions diffused, but Lisa unwisely refused to press charges. She loved the big thug. Number 80 was a handful, but she'd break him. She had so much faith in Andre that she had his digits tattooed on her left bicep. The lyrics for TLC's smash single, Creep, seem to have spun out of Lisa and Andre's tumultuous, unfaithful relationship. The message was clear. Cheat on me and I'll give it right back. But Lisa hated the song. Mainly, she hated the sentiment. She believed in fidelity to her core. Despite the outrageous clothes, fiery attitude, and over-the-top behavior, Lisa Left Eye Lopez from TLC was a one-man woman crazy we'll be right back after this word 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 everybody thought they knew lisa lopez but most people didn't they knew nikki nikki was who'd come around after the drinks started flowing nikki was who'd bring the party to the next level hell nikki was a party unto herself and she took zero shit from anyone kind of like a scrappy little pit bull she was cute, but had a lot of bite in her. You'd be wise to watch what you said to her. Lisa, on the other hand, hung back, quiet for the most part, head in the clouds, wondering about this, ready to get into that. She had poems, dance moves, outfits she was designing, beats on the brain, movies she was going to star in one day, TV shows she planned on hosting, a documentary in Honduras she wanted to shoot. Together, Nikki and Lisa were unstoppable. One was filled with careless electric feel and magnetism, and the other with boundless creativity. 
but they hated each other. So that's where Nina came in. Nina would come around when Nikki was so drunk she'd be fucking up Lisa's plans. Nina had the thankless job of being the referee. She even had one of those black and white striped referee jerseys that the zebras who ran around the field with Andre wore. Nikki hated Nina, and Lisa could take her or leave her. Lisa knew her creativity would overpower Nikki's drunken bullshit one day or another. Then, Nikki wouldn't be showing up at any more parties. And with Nikki gone, it'd just be Lisa and Andre, alone, at last. And that's what happened. Lisa got it together, put all of her shit in one bag, so to speak, and moved into Andre's big-ass house over in Alvaretta, cut back on the drinking, not entirely, but just enough to keep Nikki at bay. She thought that mellowing out and moving in with Andre would bring calm to the hectic life that comes with being a major pop artist dating an NFL star. But Andre Risen's demons ran deep. And best she tried, Lisa was no match for Andre's jealous, narcissistic ways. The man could not keep his dick in his pants. Out. All night. Every night. Full of shit. All the time. After catching him in bed in the guest room with that slut from Velvet or the Cheetah or wherever Andre happened to be partying that night, Lisa knew she'd taken this as far as she could on her own. There was no way to break this dude, and she loved him, so breaking him was the only option. But Lisa didn't give up easy, so the decision was made. She needed Nikki. Nikki was a crazy drunk fool, but that type of crazy issued respect for men like Andre. So on the night of June 9th, 1994, Lisa decided that the party was on. She got dressed up and headed downtown. If Andre was gonna go out all night, every night, and openly cheat on her, then Lisa Left Eye Lopez of TLC was gonna go out and get hers, show Andre what exactly it was that he was missing, let him experience what it's like to wait up all night for someone to come home. Wondering where they're at, who they're with, what they're doing, with your mind darting down a dozen dirty roads, each dirtier than the last, each presenting potholes to make the pit in your stomach grow wider, each driving Nikki a little closer to the edge. Yeah, fuck Andre. Stay out all night. Come home wearing that dress that drives him wild, the short one with the slit that runs high up the side, and show him exactly what he's been missing. 5 a.m. She figured that was late enough. Even if Andre went out himself, he'd be home by then and with ample time to stew over where she was. So when Lisa pulled in Andre's driveway just after five in the morning and realized Andre wasn't even home yet himself, Nikki went through the fucking roof. Uh-oh. That prick. And just as that thought hit her lips, Andre's Benz pulled in the driveway behind her. Oh boy. Andre got out of the car, saw what Lisa was wearing, and that she herself was just getting home and freaked the fuck out. Who did this woman think she was dressing like that and staying out all night? Uh-uh. Nikki, Lisa smacked Andre in the face. Fuck this guy. Who did he think he was? From there, the fight moved into the house, both of them drunk and screaming nonsense at each other at the top of their lungs, taking turns throwing random shit at each other until it came to blows. Andre wasn't a small man either. Lisa was a very small woman. The blow to the face came and went. Lisa didn't know when or how. Nikki was in control now. Nina was nowhere to be found. Typical. 
Once the fight died down, Lisa went into the bathroom to clean up. She looked in the mirror and didn't recognize the face looking back at her. Badly bruised, she became enraged. You know what you gotta do, right? Nikki pushed the issue. Kill the prick. Lisa stormed out of the bathroom intent on doing just that. But Nina intervened and got control of the situation. Lisa took a beat, retreated to the walk-in closet off of her bedroom to get some headspace and calm down. That's when she saw the shoes, hundreds of them, brand new sparkling white tennis shoes, all of them size 12 in men's, that selfish prick, all men's. Nikki wanted to know where Lisa's shoes were. Oh yeah, that asshole didn't buy you any. He bought himself a new identical pair for every goddamn day of the year, but he didn't buy you jack shit. Shut up, Nikki. Fuck you, Nina. Lisa grabbed the shoes and headed back into the bathroom. She threw them in the tub, hit the closet and grabbed her lighter fluid and some matches. Back to the bathroom, passed the stranger in the mirror, doused the shoes with lighter fluid, and then lit a match. The fire went up quick, like real quick. It immediately started spreading. How? Lisa had no idea. At first, she was frozen in fear. Then, she moved fast. And the next thing she knew, she was watching her boyfriend's house burn down on the six o'clock morning news. Just like that. She didn't mean to do it, really. But fuck him, he deserved it. Crazy. The news coverage the next day was ridiculous. Almost entirely one-sided. Against Lisa. Sure, she burned her boyfriend's mansion down, but it was because he beat the piss out of her. And let's not forget, the dude was a professional football player. The guy who openly cheated on her, controlled her, abused her. The guy whose fist imprint could practically still be seen on the massive bruise on Lisa's face in her mugshot from that day. That guy was the victim? Yes, a mugshot. Lisa had turned herself in and eventually pleaded guilty and was sentenced to five months probation and locked up in a halfway house for a month. Andre Risen played football and, I guess, kept banging strippers on his nights off. Lisa voluntarily went to rehab and with a clear head wrote the smash TLC hit, Waterfalls, which was included on the album Crazy Sexy Cool, released later in the fall of 1994. The song helped propel the album to 23 million in record sales. My God, what a hit. But the success wouldn't last. Lisa eventually fell out with T-Boz and Chili. The fire the rehab, and the elevated success achieved largely through Lisa's writing of Waterfalls changed things for the young star. She now knew what she alone was capable of, with a clear head anyway. Creatively, Waterfalls made her, in her mind at least, a proven commodity. So betting on herself was a safe bet. The only bet. Relying on the influence of others was only fucking up Lisa's plans. She'd come to realize that Chili and T-Boz were proxies for Nikki and Nina. And Lisa, after rehab, was hell-bent on not being held back by anyone. No more TLC. No more Nikki. No more Nina. 
Lisa Lopez had arrived. She wanted it her way, or nothing at all. Time to move fast. Lisa went on to sign with Suge Knight's Death Row Records and began talks with David Bowie, of all people, about a collaboration. Now that's crazy. Before heading into the studio to complete her next album, Lisa headed to Honduras for a retreat. She had this clear-headed vibe on lock, but the trip wasn't going as planned. Lisa started picking up bad vibes, having premonitions, that an evil spirit was haunting her, that death was on the creep. One night, her and her assistant hopped in their car to go for a ride. The heavy, humid Honduran air was stifling, and a drive would do them good, or so they thought. Once in the car, the bad vibes started up again immediately. As they zipped down the windy road from their village, past the straw huts, they passed a dead horse on the side of the road. In unison, a flock of birds up above let out a screeching death rattle as it moved from one tree to another. And then, a blunt thud against their moving car. They immediately pulled over. On the road at their feet in front of their SUV, a critically injured 10-year-old boy. Quickly, they pulled him into the car and raced off to the nearest hospital, Lisa holding him the whole way, his blood sticking to her sweaty skin in the sweltering Central American night air. The boy died at the hospital. Lisa paid his medical and eventual funeral bills and later compensated the family for their loss. The guilt was immense. Lisa couldn't shake the feeling that the accident was supposed to take her life not the boys. She was convinced that an evil spirit was following her. A few weeks after the accident, on April 25th, 2002, Lisa Lopez changed out of the outfit she was wearing that day. It was all white. She then, for unknown reasons, chose an outfit of all black, got dressed, and without a destination in mind, decided a ride was needed to get some headspace. Still racked with guilt, Lisa jumped into her SUV and took off out of the village. She zipped by those huts again and passed the dead horse, now just a loosely assembled pile of bones being picked over by a few vultures. Vultures. Death. More signs. Lisa sped away, trying to outrun her demons. She was distracted, driving way too fast, her head in the clouds, wondering about this, ready to get into that. The guilt was crippling, an aching pit in her stomach. Part of her thought she'd never recover. How could she write or perform again with this feeling rolling around in her gut, with death chasing her down? She accelerated, the breeze felt good on her skin, and then her SUV's rear end seemed to get out ahead of itself. Lisa lost control, she swerved, pulled the wheel to the left but overcompensated, then to the right. At the speed she was going, there was no recovery. The SUV flew violently off the side of the road, into the air, and then down into the ditch. The vehicle was totaled. Lisa Lopez died on the scene almost immediately. At the age of 30, with a clear head and a wide open future creeping around the corner, Lisa Left Eye Lopez had left crazy behind when she shed herself of Nikki and Nina. She was about to move on to her second act creatively. Lisa had gotten her way, and now, in a flash, after speeding away from her demons in a fast-moving SUV, it was over. There was nothing. 
the last two lines of the chorus from TLC's Waterfalls, I know that you're going to have it your way for nothing at all. But I think you're moving too fast. Crazy. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Disgraceland. Disgraceland was created by yours truly and is produced in partnership with Double Elvis. Credits for this episode can be found on the show notes page at disgracelandpod.com. If you're listening as a Disgraceland All Access member, thank you for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And if not, you can become a member right now by going to disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Members can listen to every episode of Disgraceland ad-free. Plus, you'll get one brand new exclusive episode every month. Weekly unscripted bonus episodes, special audio collections, and early access to merchandise and events. Visit disgracelandpod.com membership for details. Rate and review the show and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at DisgracelandPod. And on YouTube at youtube.com slash at DisgracelandPod. Rock-a-rolla. <laughs>